This is Vandana Shiva and you're listening to the Enviro show on Valley Free Radio WXOJLP 103.3 FM Northampton streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org Remember listen to your mother The Enviro show thanks River Valley Co-op Northampton's locally grown food co-op located at 330 North King Street and at 228 Northampton Street in East Hampton the co-op specializes in fresh, local, and organically grown foods from produce and cheese to fresh meats and locally baked goods. Everyone is welcome. Open 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. daily. Enviro Show thanks River Valley Co-op for their support. I spent a lot of time in these woods as a kid. But somewhere along the line, I forgot what was really important to me. Hi. Are you feeling tired, irritable, or stressed out? Well, you might consider nature. Are you suffering from an existential crisis? Prescription Strength Nature may help you. Clinical studies have shown that nature can save you from your neutered existence. Being in nature can remind you that you have a body and that you're not the center of the universe. If you care more about selfies than preserving the natural beauty and wonder of the environment, you may need to increase your dose of nature. Nature's been shown to decrease thoughts of worthlessness and increase libido. Tell your doctor if you are struggling with hygiene. You may need to decrease your dose of nature. If you're obsessing about outdoor gear or find yourself co-opting an indigenous culture, you may be taking yourself too seriously. Side effects may include getting off your ass, a genuine care for yourself, other people, and the world we live in, being more pleasant to be around, confidence, authenticity, and honesty. I know you're busy. But don't fool yourself. You need nature. Now, literally from across the valley and around the world, it's the Enviro Show. On WXOJLP 103.3 FM, Valley Free Radio, Northampton. Greetings, Earthlings. It's the Forest as Climate Solutions Enviro Show Part 1. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dio, and not in the studio with... I'm Glenn Ayers. And Glenn, it's a new year, right? And the Healy Administration has come out with its report of the Climate Forestry Committee recommendations for climate-oriented forest management guidelines, as expected... It's part of the so-called Forest as Climate Solutions Initiative, 
that we've been talking about all year, all last year and into this new year, the report of the Climate Forestry Committee, loaded with business as usual operatives from the forest industry, wasn't expected to come out with much in the way of real forest protection and preservation. In this, the climate crisis, but there were a few surprises. Michael Kellett, co-founder and executive director of Restore the North Woods, returns again to the show as we begin to bore down into the details. This is, as the press might say, a big effing deal. So we're cutting back on our usual segments to devote more time to the issue at hand on this show. That said, we will still introduce you to this week's Fool on the Hill and remind everyone that it's the climate crisis, stupid. But first, it's time for... Revenge of the Critters, wild boar takes out Russian soldier in the Ukraine. Ukrainian patriotic boar neutralizes Russian sabotage and reconnaissance group on the border with Belarus. Not far from Chernobyl nuclear power plant, a wild boar contributed to the death of a Russian intelligence officer near the Chernobyl plant, a Russian sabotage and reconnaissance group. Having left the territory of Belarus, encountered a herd of wild boars, but since the Russians could not shoot at the animals so as not to give themselves away, they rushed to run. One of the patriotic boars still caught up with Russian servicemen as a result of a collision with the ferocious animals, and they are ferocious. The occupant fell and hit his head on a stone and died. Revenge of the Critters, Glenn. Is that a good one? Huh? Yeah, that's a good one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Unintended consequences, I guess. If only they had stayed in Belarus. None of that would have happened. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they weren't hunting wild boar. So no. that's one thing. But that area around Chernobyl now has, has been abandoned for the most part, you know, except for a few people who stayed right. there. But most everyone left. And it has reverted into a wild area and wild. of course wild boar you're in their territory so yes. i can see that they were taking revenge on intruders that's right it's their territory after all okay how about this week's fool on the hill and nobody seems to like him the fool on the hill this week's fool on the hill is senator marcia blackburn Republican of Tennessee, and a real piece of work, defending all those washers and dryers and gas stoves that the libs are trying to take away from American housewives. Here's a quote. First, the left comes after gas stoves and washing machines, the major appliance warrior wrote online yesterday. Now the Biden administration wants to take away your water heater. What else will they try to take in the name of their socialist agenda? Close quote. Hey, Glenn, how about that socialist agenda? Yes, no, that's that's true. Taking away water heaters is a socialist. It's on the socialist agenda, as oh, well yeah. as taking away, you know, washers and dryers and gas stoves, of course. What are the people going to be left with? This damn socialist? 
Sheesh. Yeah, well, when they pry my yes. poster oven out of yes. my cold, dead fingers. Right. Okay. Oh, I think it's time to talk about the climate crisis again. What do you think? Well, we're pretty sure that we don't need to remind climate scientist James Hansen that it's the climate crisis, stupid, especially after his recent remarks in The Guardian, and we quote, when our children and grandchildren look back at the history of human-made climate change, this year and next will be seen as a turning point at which the futility of governments in dealing with climate change is finally exposed. And he went on to say, not only did governments fail to stem global warming, the rate of global warming actually accelerated. The piece goes on further to say that his comments are a reflection of the dismay among experts at the enormous gulf between scientific warnings and political action. It has taken almost 30 years for world leaders to acknowledge that fossil fuels are to blame for the climate crisis. Yet this year's UN COP28 summit in Dubai ended with a limp and vague call for a transition away from them. Even as evidence grows that the world is already heating to dangerous levels. So is that enough said? No, we have more, but go to the Enviro Show blog, Enviro Show without the w.blogspot.com, and click on the links if you want to learn more about the Guardian piece and about this. This is a headline we like Germany's CO2 emissions fell to the lowest in 70 years. So wake up, people. You know, I just want to say that transition away from fossil fuels, mm. that just reminds me that kind of <laughs> that kind of limp uh, response to an emergency kind of reminds me about what we're going to talk about during the interview. And, and I don't want to I don't want to give any spoilers, but the same sort of wimpy language was used throughout the climate forest report. And we talk about that during the interview and that they use this phrase that they want to implement climate considerations. And that reminds me of this talk about transitioning away from fossil fuels. It's the same sort of, you know, not even a 2% solution. It's the weakest possible statement that you could make that we want to incorporate climate considerations into an emergency. But anyway, we'll talk about that during the interview. Right. And transitions it was a term that us activists were using in the 1980s, <laughs> the early 80s, I might add. All right. Glenn he came up with a quote of the week, and this is a good one to take us to our conversation with Michael Kellett. In his farewell address after voters elected Reagan, we all remember him, President Carter urged Americans to, quote, 
protect the quality of this world within which we live. There are real and growing dangers to our simple and our most precious possessions. The air we breathe, the water we drink, the land which sustains us, the rapid depletion of irreplaceable minerals, the erosion of topsoil, the destruction of beauty, the blight of pollution, the demands of increasing billions of people, all combine to create problems which are easy to observe and predict, but difficult to resolve. If we don't act, the world of the year 2000 will be much less able to sustain life than it is now. Close quote. Yeah, that's a good one. And, you know, it's not so much that uh, Jimmy Carter could predict the future. It was obvious. It was obvious even back then. You know, it was so obvious. But here we are 50 years later, and it still isn't obvious to some people. And we still have this mealy mouth transition implied that we're going to someday do something and or we're going to have you know some considerations of the climate Mm. and you know carter honestly he was right on so many things he was the guy who created the largest wilderness areas while he was in office protected the most land in the u.s permanently protected in national parks monuments and wilderness areas Uh, He doubled the size of the national park system during his four years as president. Uh, You know, what a legacy. What an amazing legacy. And he turned down the heat and wore sweaters. Yeah, he was just, (laughs) you know, what can you say? He was an awesome guy. And then he got replaced by one of the worst. Of course, up until uh, just six years ago, Reagan was the worst ever. But- His place as the worst on the list was replaced by his malignancy. They were both terrible. It's probably number one and number two, worst ever. All right. So uh, I guess it's time for our interview. Okay, Show listeners, let's get to our guest, Michael Kellen, co-founder and executive director of Restore the North Woods. As you know, Michael's been on the show numerous times, and we've been talking about forests and and trees since the get-go, actually. So now we're going to be talking about this recently released report of Climate Forestry Committee. I know Michael has a lot to say about it, so I'll just shut up. And Michael, why don't we just roll? I think our listeners know you well enough. I think we can just go right into the Forestry Committee's findings and your take on it. Sure. I pulled out some useful snippets through the report that I can refer to, but we should remind people the reason they're doing this is because uh, when Maura Healy was running for office, she said she was going to do something about addressing forests and climate, especially because the 2008 Global Warming Solutions Act talks about reducing emissions and neglected to specifically talk about forests, but it was obvious that when you log, forests emit carbon. So this whole thing was supposed to, they started the process, they they put in place a moratorium on logging on state lands temporarily, and created, among other things, created this committee of, quote, scientists and experts, unquote, 
some of whom are real scientists, other ones I'm not sure about their science, at least. So this report that has come out is after this group has met several times and passed back and forth drafts of this report. And we know that this committee, it was basically stacked in favor of the timber industry and pro-logging interests or entities, groups, or people who are not don't have a problem with logging on state lands and, in fact, supports at least some amount. And then you had, there were basically three people who believe in significant ex protection and expansion of protected areas and are not against all forestry, but think that we need to roll back the amount we're certainly on public lands and that we need to be a lot more careful where we're doing it on private lands. And so you can see in this report, this back and forth between these two groups. And the downside is that, that the report basically does both sidesism, where it sort of says, well, well, one side said this, the other side said that. But you can see that over and over again, a lot of the claims that the pro-logging and management people make all the time didn't hold up when these three scientists questioned and said, show us the science. What do you got to back up? What you, you know, they can, it's one thing for them to say this to the news media or in, in a, you know, a testimony for a bill, they can just spew out a bunch of propaganda, but here they are sitting with scientists who know better. And they had a hard time defending some of this stuff. And, and I, I was just mentioning one of the most obvious thing that fell by the wayside, at least rhetorically, is what's called salvage, unquote, logging, which is basically killing the trees before they can die. This is an old time forestry thing where they say, oh, we got to got to cut down the forest to save it. And they've been actively doing this on state lands. They continue to do it. Question is, will this report change that? My guess is they'll just call it resilience, which is the favorite new reason to log forests is supposedly resilience because you're cutting down some trees and leaving other ones. So you got more than one age group trees, and that's supposed to do all kinds of resilient things. Of course, that happens if you just leave the forest alone too, without needing human help. I should say that another good thing was they acknowledged the need for more reserves. And they talked about a goal of 10% of Massachusetts, which is the goal of the wildlands and woodlands from Harvard Forest report. So that's good. On the other hand, they, it's very vague as to exactly where those would be. And there's no statutory protection. They say that that would be a good idea, but they don't, they don't have any bills. So, and they didn't support our bills, which would protect forests. So we'll see about that. But they doubled down on the resilience thing. We need to continue management. for, And also, even though they admitted, basically, uh, because there's been a lot of pushback on this so-called need to log forests for wildlife habitat, which is proven to be totally bogus, they didn't completely back down on that, but they basically admitted that they're overdoing it on fish and wildlife lands, fisheries and wildlife lands, and that they ought to reduce their percentage that they are talking about, which is now, I think it's like 25%. The goal is to basically clear cut for early successional wildlife, but actually it's the whole thing almost. The what they admitted though, which we've known, is that they don't have enough money to meet their goals for clear cutting 
state lands. So basically they're saying, let's reduce the goal to meet what we can actually, <laughs> actually afford. So that's pretty funny. And they also are still on the kick of, it's really good for climate to cut down trees and then turn them into two by fours. And that's gonna store all that carbon forever. And that's better than leaving these trees, which are gonna fall down and rot or whatever, which is their claim. And of course that's totally bogus, but I mean, the reality is these guys, the guys who believe in management and whatever, they don't wanna give it up. So they're gonna keep coming up with whatever they have sort of a, a rotating list of menu items that they will invoke whenever useful. And it's interesting, the one thing, I, I didn't do a search for the word fire, but fire, it's such an embarrassment for them to claim that fire really is a problem or a big threat. So they basically avoid it in any kind of a scientific situation because they would have just been batted down because it's so stupid. But they, of course, they use it with the public, you hear it all the time. And, so, and you know, for example, Miles Standish State Forest, as you know, they're doing major logging and so forth. And, and the, the primary reason they claim they're doing it is to prevent giant wildfires, even though we know that logging makes wildfire worse. But of course, that wouldn't stand up to scientific scrutiny. So they pretty much avoided it, I think, in this report. The last thing is this is just people should know this is just an advisory report. There's no this doesn't have any legal or regulatory teeth. And it's not even clear exactly what's going to happen with this. The, the state is coming up with what they call guidelines, which are just like, gee, you ought to do this and not do that. There's no legal teeth or anything. <laughs> and um they are going to allow public comment on this, although, you know, we said, why don't you release a draft version of this for the public to comment on? Well, they didn't do that. Mm. They released their final report, but they'll take comments until January 24th, I believe it is. And we can tell people how they can do that. And I think there needs to be a response to this. The major issues that I just mentioned, I think, are the most of the items that people ought to weigh in on. And maybe we can offer some suggestions as to how people can comment. Right. So, Glenn, why don't, you've read the whole thing through, I believe. And why don't you uh, step in here and give us your opinion? Yeah. So this is a 70-page report from this Climate Forest Committee. And as Michael said, there were three uh, reputable scientists on it. And there were, I think, a total of 12 members, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So there were three scientists and there were nine, what I would say would be very pro-management, pro-logging, pro-forestry. Numerous foresters, certified foresters were on this committee. And so the deck was very stacked to begin with. But if you read this report, you just have to read the executive summary right at the beginning to understand that there was absolutely no consensus reached amongst this group of so-called experts. There was wide disagreement on core issues such as active management versus passive management. Uh, if you read the entire report or even just, do, just download the PDF and do a search for key terms, you'll never hear the word proforestation mentioned. You'll never hear rewilding mentioned in this report. 
and very, very few mentions, I think three mentions of regulations. And as Michael just said, this is a report of so-called guidelines, suggestions, or recommendations for how things could be done better. And, you know, that's that's not bad to make suggestions, but that does not address the controversy. And if you read, you don't even have to read between the lines, just read the actual wording in this report. There was consistent disagreement. And you can tell it was a disagreement based on the viewpoint of the scientists who believe that these decisions should be evidence-based. So management should be evidence-based on state lands. In other words, there should be scientific evidence before you take actions that the actions that you're proposing to take will result, have a likelihood of resulting in a net positive effect on the climate. But instead of that, this report, or whoever wrote the report, you know, with input from these members, really comes down to this phrase, which I found striking, which is climate considerations. So forestry and management has to include climate considerations. A new buzzword. And, and so what my question is, what happens to things that you, oh, maybe just forgot to consider? Or, you know, where's the mandate to actually incorporate valid analysis and disclose the results of that analysis and then implement a project and measure the success of it? If you just have to consider things, that is so vague and so undefined that it's meaningless. And so my take home here is that they did a good job of documenting the controversy, but they did a lousy job of addressing, actually addressing the controversy and coming up with recommendations to remove the controversy, to end the dispute is really what's necessary here. And you know, that maybe wasn't their goal because they announced right at the start of this that no one was going to be happy with the outcome of this process. They guaranteed us at the beginning that everyone will be unhappy. And so, you know, that was an intentional attempt to fail at the purpose of this, really the moratorium and the scientific review of this. They told us right at the start, well, we're going to do this, but we're going to fail. We intend to fail. We don't intend to resolve this controversy. We don't want to come to a resolution. They apparently just feel like it's too contentious. There are too many vested interests. And the science part of it, while it's pretty much based on a consensus among scientists, they have included all of the industry talking points in this report as if they have some level of equivalent validity, which they don't. They are just propaganda. And so you have this kind of competition, and you can read it in the report, the competition between reality-based folks, you know, who are science-based and evidence-based, and then you have this other group of people, and they don't specify who is on what side, but you can tell who it is. 
the folks that want to continue business as usual, who think there's nothing wrong with continuing. I'll tell you another word that does not exist in this 70-page report, and that's degradation. There is no mention of forest degradation. And you know, you can say clear-cutting is bad, but what we have going on on many of our state forest lands, intensively in the watershed protection lands, is widespread intentional forest degradation. They're degrading the forest through these projects. They won't call it logging. They'll call it management, and they'll call them projects. But basically, they're chopping down all the trees and degrading the forest ecosystem. And all of the services that those eco that ecosystem provides, and they have never, they will never mention the word degradation. And so what you end up with, I think, in this situation is a bunch of guidelines. And what it comes down to, you have to go all the way to page 44 to see what they recommend for how the guidelines should be implemented. And the first thing that they say is that they intend to implement these guidelines in two ways. And the first is by putting them into practice right away, you know, immediately, that sounds like, right away, by putting these guidelines into the state-managed forests. So integrate these guidelines and suggestions into the management of state forests. And that means that all of the projects that they've been working on for the past year really need to go back to square one, and they need to start those. But I'm going to take a wild guess here and say that they are not going to do that. They are going to shove these projects that they've been working on for the past year during the moratorium, they're going to shove those down the public's throat. And then the second thing that they're planning on doing to implement the guidelines is to create standards, protocols, procedures, manuals, and the like, whatever the like is, so that these things get incorporated over time when they come out with new guidance documents, such as the landscape designation for DCR parks and forests, which was due to be released prior to the moratorium. It's on a 10-year cycle. And there's a question now, will that be released? Or will they go back and incorporate these guidelines, whatever these guidelines are, incorporate that into their new landscape designation? So, you know, let's just look at the concept of reserves, which were theoretically 10 years ago, 12 years ago, when the first landscape designation Bible or book, whatever you want to call it, was put out by DCR after the Forest Futures visioning process was concluded. They recommended in that that large areas be set aside as reserves and potential wilderness areas. That's what they said. And that those areas would be off limits to commercial logging. However, we know now after 10 years of them implementing those landscape designations that they actually target the reserves for logging. They've done that in the Berkshires. They've done it in Western Mass. They've targeted the Mile Standish State Forest, which is the second largest contiguous unit of state-owned lands in Massachusetts, they have targeted that area for intensive clear-cut logging. And so this concept of no commercial logging in reserves, that's not true because their actions 
actually speak louder than what they have written on the paper. And so the question is, how soon will these guidelines be incorporated and will they result in actual change on the ground? Because that's what's necessary. And looking at just the concept of reserves, this report recommends that those reserves be made permanent through statutory designation. That means not discretionary, but an absolute protection, level of protection through statute, through legislation or other mechanisms so that they are actually permanently protected from commercial logging, for instance. However, my guess is that that is going to be a very difficult thing for the agencies to agree with. And I think what this shows is that the Healy administration announced that they were going to be doing this, but then they turned it over to the people who have been in charge, the agencies and the special interests. And yes, they did include a couple of scientists to give the dissent, basically their dissenting opinions, which are incorporated into this report. But this is more a recipe for continuation of business as usual than it is for what really needs to happen is a reality-based response to the climate emergency. And that's exactly what this report is not. It is not a reality-based response to the fact that we are in a climate and biodiversity crisis. And we need to take unprecedented action in order to address those dual crises, which are are really two sides of the same thing. And we don't really get that from reading this report. But I'll leave it up to the listeners to draw their own conclusions. But do take a look at it. Do some keyword searches through the document. Read the sections that you think might be the most interesting. Some of the stuff is very good. You know, the fact that they say that they need to, as a minimum, designate 10% of Massachusetts as permanently protected reserves. And that would be off limits to active management and commercial logging. That's great. But well, how do you accomplish that? They don't say. This is not a guideline for accomplishing things. It's a guideline for, as they call it, considerations, climate considerations. And they don't talk about implementing existing laws like we do have, you know, some climate laws that were passed recently. They don't talk about how to implement or expand the protection of lands in order to accomplish what the climate laws say we must. And that's really a missed opportunity. So in general, I would give this report you know, I'll, I'll be generous here and I'll say I'd give it a C or a C minus. It's very average or below average work. That's a real missed opportunity. It certainly is not what I was hoping for. But again, my hopes are often not associated with the reality, the political reality or whatever. So that's my summary. I, if I could add to uh, a couple comments that you made, Glenn, especially where they're not addressing the climate emergency and biodiversity emergency. What's interesting is, and we have to remind ourselves, that's what this is supposedly all about. And this is all about climate and carbon and emissions. 
And what's interesting, you're right that they over and over again, you see that there's significant disagreement above these two really extremely different views. But there are a couple of places where they're on the same page. One of them is carbon stocks and sequestration. The co committee generally agreed that passive management, which is to leave it alone, converts greater increases in carbon stocks than active, and that allowing forests to grow and age is typically best to maximize carbon storage. That's pretty clear. Then you got another one. The committee strongly agreed that the most important way to preserve soil carbon is to allow forests to mature naturally, which is, as you say, proforestation. They didn't use the term. But so on, the, on these, these critical issues, there's no question, even with these forestry guys, there's no question that they're admitting that leaving the forest alone is the best thing for carbon and soil. So basically, everything that where they're not leaving it alone, they've got to come up with excuses claiming that there are other considerations that have to be made that basically that override carbon and climate. And this resilience thing is their favorite thing. Is Part of it is they don't want to give up logging in the quab and, and in watersheds. And so they... It's interesting in the resilience thing, they say some argued vociferously that nothing needs to be done to make forests more resilient. We can imagine these are the scientists who actually don't aren't logging advocates. Others argued with equal intensity that active forest management is important to increase forest resilience. And this is all just really bogus fake science that, that they're basing this on, which is why they weren't able to overwhelm the pro protection guys because they don't because they don't have the science. But they refuse to give it up. Of course, as you say, it's just what they want. It's not really science. It's it's we want to keep logging, and we think it's logging's good for forests. And don't confuse us with the facts. We just want more logging. So we're going to get a combination of admitting the science, and then basically overriding the science for business as usual and it's the, and so yeah you're right it does this does not resolve that what it does do though i think for the public is it it validates all the stuff we've been saying all the issues that we've raised they are basically admitting these are real issues in some cases they're actively they're completely agreeing with our points so and then it so then it comes down to are we going to just allow forestry and biomass and wood products industries to over and, and agency guys who just want to manage everything because they think it ought to be managed, logged. Are we going to just let them continue to do their business as usual? Or are we going to say, we've had it, you know, let's join the 21st century and change the way we do this. And we've got an emergency, by the way. So we need to do it sooner rather than later. And this doesn't do that, as you say. But I think it gives the public a lot of ammunition to go after a lot of the stuff they're going to probably do, which we won't like. Right. But, the, you know, there was things that they, as Glenn mentioned, that they failed to mention. Surprisingly for me, this quotable quote came from the summary, and it goes like this. Unsurprisingly, disturbing the forest of Massachusetts as little as possible and allowing forests to grow and age through passive management is generally the best approach to maximizing carbon, ecological integrity, and soil health. However, Massachusetts must manage forests for multiple purposes and benefits simultaneously. <clears throat> yeah, there you go. 
That's exactly our point. Is they're saying science is nice, but let's be real. We need to do some logging out there and make some wood products. I think the distinction throughout this report is that this was supposed to be a scientific review of management, right? And instead, you had you did have scientists who I think had a lot of input into this, and the term that they use is vociferously argued. And I'm sure there was a lot of that. It's too bad we didn't get to observe that in <laughs> in real time, or at least recorded versions of it. I would have loved to have seen that argument occur. But there's this evidence-based, reality-based scientific approach versus the faith-based business model which is more toward the privatization of the environment or resources for personal profit. And that's the tension that we have been up against here. These are public lands we're talking about specifically, and we would like the management of those to be based on evidence. And as Dio just pointed out, it's generally accepted. Well, it's actually, it's more than, it's more than that. It's reality that leaving the forests alone to grow and accumulate and increase their rate of carbon storage long-term is the best thing for the climate. That's the reality. That's generally accepted. But it smacks up against this faith-based, religious, almost fervor that we must have dominion over nature or else we're not men. That's where the foresters come in with their faith-based practices, which are not evidence-based, they're faith-based, because they believe that what they're doing is smarter than nature, is better than nature. They know better than nature. And of course, we know that that has not worked in the past. And that's why we're in a climate emergency right now, because we've let too much of that stuff happen. And we have not paid attention to the science for the past, oh, at least 40 or 50 years. Absolutely. You know, here's a climate consideration for, for everyone. The agencies in question don't adhere to the few guidelines that they already have. So where are these guidelines going to go, you know? Right. Yeah. We could talk forever about the fact that there are existing regulations that the agencies just do not follow because they can't if they want to continue with business as usual. And so how would you now incorporate the findings from this report into regulations when the agencies are already shown that they don't follow regulations to begin with? They do whatever they want. And as we've talked about, and I think it was with Michael, we've talked about the fact that they just have excessive executive discretion to pretty much do whatever they want. And this report carves a clear pathway for them to continue abusing discretion and ignoring science. Yeah. In fact, they specifically say that. I don't have the words in front of me, but they, that they're saying how important it is to allow them to continue to have that ex executive discretion. So that basically, that's their get out of jail free card whenever they want to do something that still doesn't square with what all the other stuff that they're saying in this report. They can just say, well, it's our, you know, it's our, we're experts. We're the 
guys, we know what we're doing. That's our, you know, let us do our job. One other thing that you didn't mention, Glenn, which is important, is that they're a little bit lower key here. I think they backed off when they got so much negative response with the wood product side of things. They were all over talking about mass timber, which is just fancy plywood, and building all these buildings for affordable housing. And it's basically just pandering to the wood products industry and New England Forestry Foundation has made this their, their big money-making opportunity or one of them. And they basically didn't talk a whole lot about that. However, buried down in there, you probably noticed they have a thing about how we need incentives for private business. And the incentives are to additional funding to support the climate forestry work in the Woodlands Partnership of Northwest Massachusetts, which is, they renamed the Mohawk Trail Woodlands Partnership. And we know that that was created just to basically get money for the forest industry and to promote biomass energy and other stuff. So buried down in there, it's more money for business as usual. What a surprise. Yeah. Well, I think that our listeners should read this report. We'll link to it on the blog. And unfortunately, you know, my hopes that the controversy would have been addressed in a significant way by the new administration. I'm going to give that an F for the Healy administration. I think that the scientists on this committee obviously did a good job advocating for reality, but I think the administration really, this was a failure on the administration's part. And so they get an F from me on that. And then we'll also continue covering this topic on future episodes of the Enviro Show. Yeah, this will be a two-part show. This is great to have Michael back on for part one here. Dio, if there's one last thing I can say, we don't want to be all doom and gloom here. People should remember the reason they did this in the first place, the reason they're talking about these issues, it's because all of the listeners of the show and other people out there in Massachusetts, citizens, have not just been gone quietly and allowed them to continue doing this stuff. There's a there's been significant public pushback and support for protection. It's it, this has become a big issue that they couldn't ignore. So you know the public deserves credit for where we are right now. We got a long way to go, but we're making progress. Well and Michael, you have been a leader uh, in that effort. You and Janet Sinclair really have been out front on this issue for years and years. And so, you know, we want to thank you for your activism and you've been an inspiration to all of us. So keep up well, the great work up. and we'll continue. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. That was great. It's always good to have Michael on the show. He is a wealth of knowledge and really has his finger totally on the pulse of what's going on when it comes to forestry issues, wildlands protection, rewilding. Uh, what a great guy. And I think that We'll be having additional parts to this series. I don't know how many we'll have, but upcoming will be part two. And in the meantime, I really encourage everyone to go to our blog, click on the link and download that report that came out just a few days ago and give it a read. It is 70 pages long, but I think that there are some key parts that you can look at to get the gist of the report itself. It's something that anyone interested in land protection, forest issues will find useful. There's a lot of useful information in it. And it is 
essentially a chronicle of where we're at, where we've been, especially since the last Forest Futures visioning process, which I don't know if that was 15 years ago when that started, the first moratorium. And supposedly, they're now going to resume logging on state-owned lands without resolving anything. So we're going to be paying attention to this issue going forward. It's not going to go away. Uh, My prediction is that both sides are going to continue to advocate for, you know, on one side, the destruction and degradation of forests that we have here in the Commonwealth. And then on our side, the environmental side, but on the ecology side, we are going to continue to be advocating for protecting forests to the maximum extent feasible through mostly passive management and allowing them to increase the amount of carbon that they're withdrawing from the atmosphere and storing long-term in the soil and in the above-ground living materials. And we're going to advocate for that because, as we say on this show all the time, it's the right thing to do. We're in a climate and biodiversity emergency, and we need to do this if we have any chance at all of avoiding the very worst impacts from climate chaos. So there you have it. That's our opinion. That's the scientific reality. We need to wake up. We have to stop over-consuming, and we really have to value the treasures that we have here in Massachusetts in our state forest lands and stop the abuse, stop the destruction, and start the rewilding and healing process. So we'll be back with more on this topic in the near future. There it is. And remember, EnviroShow listeners, what we also, for our motto for this show that we are forever throwing out there is action is the antidote to despair. So there are a bunch of actions coming up in the EnviroShow bus stop billboard. I will start right now with January 10th, January 24th, February 7th, and February 21st, all at 6.30 p.m., Feeling starved for discourse about climate philosophy? You're in good company. Starting on January 10, members of Extinction Rebellion Boston are leading a climate philosophy seminar every other Wednesday at the Democracy Center. That's at 45 Mount Auburn Street in Cambridge. You can RSVP on the calendar link on our bus stop billboard. And then Wednesday, January 10th, 8 to 9.30 p.m., remembering January 6th, a virtual event. Mm-hmm. At, well, on January 6th, 2021, an attack happened not just on the U.S. Capitol in the attempt to stop the electoral vote count, but also on democracy and the rule of law. It's been three years since that attack. And so this will be a special event to discuss the event, what has happened since then, and what might had have happened if it was ultimately successful. And there's a link on the blog. Check that out. And, you know, this is a day of infamy that yeah. we will likely never forget. That is correct. 
This is going to be a very interesting year, <laughs> given that his malignancy is once again running for the office. So on January 11th at 10 a.m., the Biden-Harris administration is hard at work preparing to launch the first cohort of the American Climate Corps by summer of 2024. They're excited to announce that they're hosting a virtual listening session to hear your ideas about how to shape this historic groundbreaking initiative. So go to the blog, click on the link for each and every one of those hearings. All right, and then January 18th through February 1st, it's the Massachusetts Water and Wetland Regulation Changes Events, proposed wetlands regulations along with Climate-related goals established by the Healy-Driscoll administration will help minimize impacts from severe storms in a changing climate. Additional urgency and coordination will be needed in the effort and continued fight to preserve wetlands, open space, and biological diversity. For more info on that, go to the blog, enviroshowblogspot.com. Click on the link. All right, and then I have another one, a late-breaking late one that is happening on January 22nd. That's Monday evening at 4 p.m. from 4 to 5.30 p.m. It's the Elders Climate Action Massachusetts Chapter Deep Dialogue, and that'll be focused on creating and preserving forever wild forests. And we'll be joined by John Leibowitz, who's the executive director of the Northeast Wilderness Trust, which is the only land trust in this region that focuses on permanent protection of forest and wildlands in the entire Northeast region. And John will discuss the critical role that forever wild forests, wetlands, and intact ecosystems play in addressing the dual crises of climate change and biodiversity loss with an emphasis on long-term climate benefits of rewilding permanently protected lands. John will show examples of completed land protection projects in this region and discuss further opportunities for additional creation of wilderness areas in accordance with the recently released Wildlands in New England report. And the presentation will explain how everyone can get involved in this regional effort to protect the wild earth while also protecting the climate. So I'll be there. I highly recommend that to our listeners. John Leibowitz is a fantastic speaker and really inspirational. So check that out. There's a link for the Zoom event on the blog. And the following day, Tuesday, January 23rd at 9.30 a.m., Fight for Your Rights Lobby Day. They'll be having a meeting with legislators to build support and momentum behind three critical bills for democratic rights. The Voting Access Act, the Sunlight Bill, and the Location Shield Act, a reproductive freedom on that third one. So go to the blog, click on the link to learn more about that event. And Thursday, January 25th, 7 to 8 p.m., it's online. How is our Commonwealth battling climate change and what will it mean for you? Congregation or Atid is pleased to host Massachusetts Climate Chief Melissa Hoffer, as she discusses this and other issues facing us in the era of climate change, this event is free and open to the public. After registering, you will receive a confirmation email with a Zoom link. So go to the blog, click on the registration link for that. And on Sunday, January 28th at 3 p.m., screening of the film Burned by the Cummington Native Sun 
filmmaker Alan Dater and co-filmmaker Lisa Merton. Dater Merton and Dr. Mary Booth will also participate in a roundtable discussion at the Cummington Community House, 33 Main Street in Cummington, Mass. And then Monday, January 29th from 6 to 8 p.m., it's the Western Mass Solidarity Roundtable. They'll be reviewing mapping that they did in October and dig into some of the major issues raised and discuss how to move forward. It's People versus Fossil Fuels. Contact Kristen Stray for that. You can go to the blog to get her email address. And on Friday, February 2nd, Groundhog Day Actions will draw on the theme of being stuck in place and making no progress. The strategy and action circle is creating action plans, messaging templates, and documents, but XR chapters are encouraged to choose their own time, location, and action specifics. They'll be sending out regular updates as plans develop, but in the meantime, you can contact Chapter Support and Engagement Working Group, and the address is on our blog. And Tuesday, February 6th through the 8th, all days, you'll be able to join Bill McKibben, Third Act, Frontline Leaders and National Allies in three days of nonviolent civil disobedience at the Department of Energy in Washington, D.C. to push for Secretary Granholm to stop approving new liquefied natural gas terminals, including the CP2 project in Southwest Louisiana. For more information, go to the blog, click on the links for that. That's good. There it is. Plenty to do, plenty of actions to, to move you away from despair, must say. So we'll be back on January 20th uh, online with part two of this special edition so until then, what, Glenn, you think, uh, what am I forgetting? Something about your mother. Oh, listen to your mother. This is Dio saying adios. And this is Glenn Ayers. Take action, folks. It's never too late. I am Mother Earth, and I approve of this message. <laughs>